Welcome to the Joma Preventative Health Podcast, hosted by the Jewish Orthodox Women's Medical Association. We provide you with up-to-date information on health topics geared towards the Orthodox Jewish community. This podcast content is provided for informational purposes only and is not intended as medical advice or as a substitute for the medical advice of a physician. Hi, my name is Elisa Minkin. I'm a general pediatrician and I'm also chair of the Joma Preventative Health Committee. And I'm really excited to be here today with Dr. Denise Moses. Hi. Hi. Dr. Moses is a board certified OBGYN. She is a true New Yorker, born and raised in Brooklyn. She received her undergraduate degree at CUNY Brooklyn and medical degree at SUNY Downstate. She completed residency at Hofstra North Shore LIJ Health System. She currently works at a private practice located in Queens, New York called Healthcare for All Women. So I am so grateful for you doing this topic with me, which is basically going to be COVID, the COVID vaccine in the setting of pregnancy, fertility, pregnancy loss, nursing, all of these categories that so many of us um, are concerned about right now. Yes, I'm excited to discuss all of these topics with you. And I want to start with your story because you actually have a story to tell us. Yes. So um, as an OBGYN, I'll talk about my pregnancy in weeks. Um, when I was 20 weeks pregnant, I found out that I had COVID. Um, I actually was on call, was not feeling well, um, and was really doing my best to complete my uh, 24-hour call without having to go home. Um, that night I had chills, I had a sore throat, I had a cough, um, but I took my temperature and it was like 99.6. So I figured it was cold. Yeah. Um, Tried to sleep it off, had tea um, and tried to rest. Um, But then I had an ongoing cough for a couple of days Um, and I decided to get tested. I actually had a very difficult time getting tested because this was very early in March, Mm -hmm. um, where at first they were saying like, don't wear masks. It's not going to help you. Just Um, stay at home. Just assume you have COVID. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And, um, uh, I was actually refused testing at first because I didn't have a documented fever. Mm -hmm. Um, but my, um, my primary care doctor um, actually helped to convince urgent care to test me because I had a few risk factors. One of which was that I had a cough. The second was that I uh, was a healthcare worker. Mm-hmm. And the third was that I was pregnant. And once I finally got tested and it came back positive, I was a little shocked because um, no one had really said that you could present without a fever. Mm-hmm. It ended up turning out that I was quite ill. Luckily did not have to be hospitalized, but every few days I would have another symptom. I lost my sense of taste and smell. I had extreme fatigue. I had the worst headache of my life Um, for days, for days. I took Tylenol. I took an anti-nausea medication. I tried everything, nothing helped it get better. 
um, finally, after 21 Ds, I finally stopped having any more symptoms and started to feel more like myself again, but I was still exhausted. Um, during those three weeks, once I found out that I had COVID, I was really concerned about my unborn baby mm -hmm. because I didn't know anything at that point in terms of how COVID affects the pregnancy and what it could do to my unborn baby. Um, after those three weeks, I still didn't have my sense of smell back. It took about another month for that to come back. Um, mm. But I was continuing to be monitored throughout the rest of my pregnancy with um, sonograms and discussions with the high-risk OBGYNs. Um, so what, what did you learn? I mean, that's your own personal experience and that was your second trimester. That was in my second trimester. So I'm, I'm guessing that you researched it very intensely. Yes. More so than OB who didn't live through it. So can you tell us what you've learned about pregnancy and COVID? Because I want to put the setting before we even get to the vaccine, we really have to understand that we're comparing the risk of the vaccine to the risk of the disease. Exactly. And the benefit of the vaccine to the benefit of the disease. And there is no benefit to COVID. So that's easy. <laughs> exactly. Um, I, I always say I'd rather not have it again, right. um, no matter what. Um, those three weeks, I really thought I was going to die. I, uh, I remember like crying and just saying like, why am I not feeling better? This is taking so long. I don't understand, you know, normally, um, any cold would take about 10 days to two weeks to feel better. And this was already a week beyond that. Um, at the same time, being so sick with this novel virus, not knowing the effect that it had on the baby um, was frightening. And as an OB where I see the worst case scenario, I was scared. Learning now um, about COVID-19 and pregnancy, we know that pregnancy is high risk um, for COVID. Mm -hmm. Meaning women that are pregnant that get COVID are at higher risk for um, intensive care unit um, admissions, need for mechanical ventilation, um, higher risk of preterm birth, um, higher, higher risk for um, uh, need for uh, ECMO, mm -hmm. which is extra uh, oxygenation. Five, yes. Exactly. I've seen it. Yeah, I've seen it happen. Yeah. So um, we also know that the babies are at risk uh, for being on the smaller side as well. Mm -hmm. Are there any other risks to the baby that we've seen um, or that we know of? As far as we know, no, we, we don't think that it causes any um, congenital anomalies in the baby. But we know that um, there have been some uh, risk of uh, intrauterine growth restriction, meaning a mm -hmm. smaller baby and preterm birth. Though it's unclear if that's because of the virus or because we're delivering moms who are sicker. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Now there's a mother couldn't make it to term because she was too ill. Exactly. So they had to deliver the baby. Well, she wasn't in labor. They had to deliver the baby early for the mother's Correct. sake. Correct. Either way, it's still a risk factor. Exactly. In all honesty. Exactly. What about transmission to the baby? 
I mean, mm. I know with, with chickenpox, for example, we have a concern sure. with the mother getting chickenpox at the very end and the baby not having antibodies. Um, we don't think that the COVID virus crosses the placenta or affects mm. the baby. So far, there hasn't been, to my knowledge, any uh, information about the uh, fetus being born infected with COVID. Mm-hmm. But the baby could get more severe COVID if the if the mother had it close to term, though. Do we have we seen that? Um, no, I haven't. I haven't. So, so we, we just don't know. I mean, a lot of things here where the answer is going to be, I don't know. It just hasn't happened enough times and been reported. Exactly. For exactly. us to know, because this is a novel virus, so everything exactly. here about it is new. So those are some of the risks, um, particularly to the mother. Exactly. Right during pregnancy. Correct. So you did get the COVID vaccine after though. Exactly. I did. And at that time, at that time you were nursing and what did you do? (laughs) I went home and I pumped right afterward because I was exclusively pumping. Right. And I was very happy to feed that milk to the baby. Do we know of any risks to, because I get asked this already. I'm I'm starting to get asked this as as the parents in my practice are are Mm -hmm. getting eligible for the vaccine and and they're nursing their babies. Um, What do we know about, about at all to the baby. Vaccinating a mother who's who's lactating. Correct. No risk. Um, there is a theoretical benefit that if mm-hmm. the mom makes antibodies, those antibodies can be passed to the baby through the breast milk. Now, if a woman has, has COVID while she's pregnant, does the baby become immune? Theoretically, it's a possibility. Mm-hmm. But again, we don't know yet. Um, because if the mom makes antibodies, it's possible that those antibodies will cross the placenta, um, and then the baby could be born with those antibodies, similar to the Tdap vaccine that's given during pregnancy. Mm-hmm. That would be not something that would last very long because it's it's passive. It's not that the baby faced the virus, made its own exactly. antibodies. It would be something that would wane fairly exactly. quickly. So in terms of the decision to get the vaccine or not, because we're putting the decision to vaccinate in the context of COVID. And we talked about, particularly for pregnant women, they are high risk. What are the things we have to consider in terms of making the decision to give someone the vaccine who is pregnant, who wants to become pregnant, who's worried about their fertility? These are all different categories. So let's go through them one by one. Let's start with fertility because there is a piece of misinformation going around. So let's just go through that a little bit in depth. Mm-hmm. about what that misinformation is and, and why it's wrong. Um, there was um, an article, a newspaper article that had come out with a very inflammatory title mm. saying uh, head of Pfizer research says COVID-19 vaccine causes infertility. Mm-hmm. Um, I might be paraphrasing. We get the idea. <laughs> <laughs> and um, when you look into it more, Um, It wasn't the head of Pfizer research first. Uh, Secondly, the uh, protein um, that they're saying this uh, vaccine, which happens to be um, a new type of vaccine, it's an mRNA vaccine, um, which is a special vaccine that codes for information about the virus, um, and it doesn't contain any virus or any viral particles, Um, is similar to a protein that is found in the human placenta called cystin-1. And um, the truth is that uh, while it may share a couple of uh, similar genetic codes, it's Mm -hmm. not enough to um, be similar enough to cause 
an issue with the placenta or an issue in fertility. Have we seen a change in fertility um, during this pandemic? There was a little bit of information, again, um, you know, still uncertain that um, there was a little bit of a decreased sperm count in men, in men. Um, 90 days after being infected with COVID. So the men that had the actual disease, not men that had gotten the vaccine, um, but it was transient and went back up after to a normal level. Um, as far as I know, this is still being studied as well. And everything is sort of preliminary until we get more information. Right. We don't know it for a fact. We have some evidence pointing in that direction. And it's interesting because I think that um, claims of vaccines causing infertility, it's not, this is not new for the COVID-19 vaccine. This has been claimed for, for many vaccines. And I think it's just something that is scary to people, right? Um, but I've never heard a vaccine be, be um, have the claim made that it causes male infertility until this one. And I suspect it's because there are, you know, some evidence pointing to male infertility from the virus. And I think that the takeaway point of this is that people, people who are trying to scare you away from the vaccine, the tactic they use is they minimize the risk of the virus at the same time that they in over inflate and distort the risks of the vaccine. Correct. And Correct. so I think we always have to keep in mind what we're comparing here, that people are saying things like, oh, well, there's no long-term data. It's true. There's it's no long-term data. It's a brand new vaccine. It's true. Right? But we have to listen to the science. Right. No science. Right. And, and there's also a myth that there's been no um, reproductive studies done in animals. But there have been. I don't know for sure. I think there have been. And I think there have been. Um, the major issue is that mm. women that were pregnant were excluded from the vaccine trials. Mm -hmm. Um, there are certain um, groups like the Society for Maternal Fetal Medicine um, who actually advocate for pregnant women to be included in these trials. Um, however, it's up to the companies that are researching this. Um, and we know that some women have gotten pregnant while they were in the vaccine trials um, and they're being followed up. And as far as we know, there's no adverse outcome with them. Right. And back to the infertility claims. Again, there is no mechanism whatsoever of any validity that the vaccine could cause infertility in men or a woman. There just isn't. Correct. This is Correct. all, you know, we talked about the myth and everything else is purely just made up, not based on any science. Correct. It's so not based in truth. Right. It's important to, to point that out. So back to, I said fertility, so we talked about fertility. So again, even though there's fears of it, the fears have no foundation. And, and in terms of the, the mRNA vaccine, and I say this in so many of my podcasts on this topic, I did one with Ellie Carmody, Dr. Ellie Carmody, who's infectious disease. I did one just now with Dr. Mark Mulligan. Um, I think at least one other that I've done where we've mentioned that mRNA vaccine, it scares people because it sounds genetic right? <laughs> the mRNA <laughs> is just a message. The best example I heard is the Snapchat analogy. Mm -hmm. Have you heard that one? Yeah, I like that. Yeah. Uh, 
when it disappears. People, it disappears. The concept of the Snapchat message. I don't even. I'm. I'm so old. I don't even really 100 percent know what Snapchat. Is. I thought you were going to take over for me, being younger than me, and help me here. But Snapchat yeah, yeah. is this like. It's it like social media thing, okay? And it you put it out there, and it doesn't last forever, okay? It goes away. Yeah. I've also yeah. heard that the the concept of the mRNA is it's so fragile that it has to be encased in in the fatty, you know, coating which is one of the main ingredients. Um, yeah. I think it's the polyethylene glycol, which sounds very scary, but is a fatty type molecule that is actually there to coat it. Mm -hmm. Same ingredient in Miralax. Um, and that, by the way, is I think what's causing the allergic reactions, which is why God invented EpiPens. Um, so all the, uh, the severe allergic reactions that they've had, which is about one in a hundred thousand, which is still pretty rare, have resolved with EpiPen. Um, so back to that fatty coating, I've heard it described like an M&M, that if you held the chocolate in your hands, it would melt and it's just a coating so it doesn't melt. So it can get into the cell long enough for the message to get through like a secret message in a bottle, right? And then disappear. It okay. doesn't incorporate into your cell. It doesn't change your genetics. There's a lot of misinformation about it. it and it's easy. Right. It's DNA. easy to believe that. Right. It's easy to believe that. We're not even talking about there's a whole other category that is not relevant yet because it doesn't hasn't been given an emergency use authorization, um, the viral vector vaccines, which I'm not going to get into. But the minute it is, we'll, we'll have to deal with that because exactly. we are going to have alternative vaccines besides the mRNA ones. But the mRNA ones, yes, it's new. Yes, it hasn't been used for human vaccines um, for um disease protection. I think it's been used in cancer research. So the technology. Yeah. yeah. The, the technology is not I want to point out has been there mm -hmm. um, and has been used. So just because it, it's a new way of using it mm -hmm. doesn't mean that it's dangerous at this point because it has been used in the past. Um, it's right. a great way to protect people against a really severe illness um, that are both pregnant, lactating, and you know, thinking about becoming pregnant as well. Right. Um, and also, I think, you know, for people who are concerned about ingredients and in vaccines, this vaccine doesn't really have a lot in it because basically the message of the mRNA is the vaccine. Exactly. It has very little in it. It's really a cool way. And, and again, we don't have long-term data. It's true. But again, you're balancing that against COVID. So some people will say, well, I had COVID. Why do I have to get the vaccine? There's no guarantee. I mean, I had COVID too, um, but and I still yet you got, got the vaccine. vaccine. Yes, I still got the vaccine, um, and there's no guarantee that I wouldn't get COVID again. Um, there's no information really about how long the antibodies last, how effective they are. Um, I know I was checking mine personally, and my antibody levels had actually gone down. I don't know what that means. Right. Um, and I don't know if it actually even means anything, right? but I would still want to protect myself and my family um, from getting sick again. Right, right. Antibodies going down does not mean you're not immune because you can have memory B cells that can be, you know, if you're actually faced with the virus. So lack exactly. of them does not mean you're not immune. But the flip side, people don't realize is also true. Having antibodies does not necessarily mean you can't get COVID again. And I'm already hearing stories of this with really good testing where they still had antibodies and yet right. they got sick. Why? Because the antibodies may be non-neutralizing antibodies. They may not be the antibodies that actually prevent reinfection. Exactly. So, so we know the risk of getting sick. Right. And, and, and it's all a risk benefit equation. You may say, hey, I am on the front lines. I'm a doctor. 
yes, I had COVID and maybe I still have antibodies, but I'm not taking a chance because I am getting exposed. Somebody else may say, well, what if I just stayed home? I mean, the problem is that I think people have to understand right now that it's really, we're tired. Yeah. We're not, we're, we're in a state of pandemnesia, right? Where yeah. we're pre- almost exactly. pretending that there is no such thing as COVID anymore. Cause we're just, we've done it. We're done yeah, with we it. So it should be fatigue. It's, it's we're more than pandemic fatigue. fatigue. It's pandemnesia. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't make that term up, right? I but it's, it. it's, it's a different pandemic fatigue. I'm tired. I really know I have to wear a mask. Pandemnesia means what pandemic? It's over. Right. And there were, you know, areas where the rate went down so much that they could, you know, they could say at the time, oh, we have herd immunity. Well, they don't. But at the time they thought they did. So this concept of obliviousness as it is skyrocketing out of control. And I think that's where the decision that really all at high risk. Right. Honestly, and that, that kind of thinking is actually dangerous. Mm-hmm. It's actually dangerous um, because people that can get exposed, they could be asymptomatic. And they could be exposing children, parents, grandparents, siblings, and people of all ages can get sick. And it doesn't matter if they're young or if they're old, both can still have very severe disease. That's a really, really important point. And unfortunately, you know, it's a very sad story recently of a 30 year old who passed away from COVID is very sad. And, and we've heard this with pregnant women also, like you said, pregnant women were at higher risk. We, we've all heard the stories of very, very tragic stories. So there's, there's misinformation also going around that if you're young, you should not worry about severe COVID. It is true that the younger you are, and we're not talking about pregnancy because we already said pregnancy is high risk, but the younger you are, the greater chance you have of having milder COVID. But even in that doesn't mean that you're not gonna have long hauler, post COVID, all kinds of crazy stuff. And that is is what we call the morbidity of the disease. You know, people focus on the mortality. Well, how many people died? I heard this during the measles outbreak. No one died. So it's not so dangerous. And yet we knew that we, what about quality of life? Right. We also knew that children's immune systems were shot like Swiss cheese from the measles illness that they had. So maybe they didn't, they, they survived it, thank God, but their immune systems were shot. And COVID, you know, people are so worried about what are the long-term autoimmune effects of the vaccine for which, yes, it's true. It's theoretically possible, right? We don't know, but we, we do know the long-term autoimmune effects of COVID. The vaccine, most of the side effects occur within the first six weeks. Right. If someone's going to have a side effect, um, we would already by now know about it. Um, For most of the people that were in the trials and Mm. for the people that have been getting vaccinated since the vaccine was rolled out, um, we're just heading into about six weeks now since the vaccine was rolled out. um, And we would know about more of the side effects. After six weeks, it's really unlikely to see any long-term effects from a vaccine. Mm. I mean, I'm gonna I'm gonna be a little bit of a um, what's the word that I want? I'm gonna be a little bit difficult right now <laughs> and say, well, how do you know, right? I mean, if you're talking about immunity, it could, it could take time. I mean, I think that there's it's very reassuring that even those first few months of data are where we're gonna see the vast majority of the acute and short-term type reactions. Right. But what I what I want to say for sure is true. For sure is true 
that we know that COVID has potentially devastating long-term, all kinds of systemic, whether it's autoimmune, whether it's cardiac, whether it's brain, whether it's, you know, um, lung, all kinds of long-term serious, serious quality of life adverse effects. So you're balancing known risk against a theoretical risk. Exactly. Because we're doing risk benefit weighing here. So even we don't have to say it can't be because it's only, you know, it's been two months and it shouldn't be because it, it, it could be. It could. It could be, but you always have to balance it against the knowledge that we have. Right. With the knowledge we have, and we do know more about COVID. And so in terms of treatment of COVID, sometimes people will say, well, we can treat it now, or we can prevent it now. It's not true. Right. So that's, you know, that's a whole, a whole separate issue. And I'm, I'm wondering about what people plan to do if they're pregnant in terms of taking things like in some of these alternative protocols, like hydroxychloroquine or Zithromax. Right. I don't think we have data on pregnant women with this. Right. We do know that um, we do sometimes give Zithromax in pregnancy mm-hmm. um, for women who have preterm uh, rupture of membranes. Mm-hmm. But is it better to take those medications while also battling a severe illness versus preventing the illness in the first place. Right. And in terms of outside of pregnancy, we have no evidence that any of these medications are super effective. And I think the best medications we have are steroids, right, which do work in more severe illness, but why would you want to have to take high dose steroids? Right while you're pregnant and already severely ill are, you know, monoclonal antibodies, which have some efficacy, right. But haven't been studied in pregnancy. Exactly. Exactly. Even though they're a high risk category. Right. I don't believe that pregnant women are, are on that list of people who are high risk. I, I don't know if that, I, I don't know this actually, if that's true or not. Um, according to ACOG, they are. According they to are on the list. Okay, good. The American College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists. When, uh, pregnant women are considered high risk. Um, also, are, there, are there high risk, but are they eligible for the monoclonal antibodies? And if so, how safe are they and how effective are they specifically in pregnancy? That I don't know. Right. We don't know. Mm-hmm. And, and, and even in other high risk groups, it has some efficacy of making the disease less severe. But again, prevention is so much better. And I, I feel like I have exactly. to say this in every talk at some point, masking, distancing, masking, distancing. It's so... We're so tired of it, but I have to say it because prevention, especially if you're afraid of getting the vaccine, but even if you're not, um, and people really want to take their masks off once they get the vaccine. And I already talked about this in my talk with Dr. Mark Mulligan. I'm like, I got my vaccine and I wanted to <laughs> fling my mask in the air and I graduation gap. Woohoo! Yep. And I said, no, it doesn't work like that. Right. <laughs> and also the uh, 95% efficacy is two weeks after the second dose. Right. <laughs> right. And that 95%, by the way, isn't, isn't the theoretical, perfect, beautiful trials that they had. And we cannot have the expectation of having 95%. Exactly. And we're hearing, you know, we're definitely hearing of more people getting it after the first dose, which should not be surprising, which should not be dismaying. It should not be surprising at all. Right. Because we cannot yeah. expect, you know, at all full immune. I think it's 50% from the Pfizer. And I've heard higher numbers from Moderna, but I'm skeptical that those numbers are really reliable. Right. And it's also Again. possible that they were already um, getting incubated with 
the COVID virus right. while they receive the vaccine. Right, right. Well, that's that's typical. But even after, if you don't have anywhere near 100% immunity, if you have 50%, you know, and we see this all the time in the winter with the flu shot. I got the flu shot and I got the flu. That's because you came in December and you sat in a waiting room and you got the flu from someone that you were sitting next to while you were waiting to get your flu shot. That's why. Or the next day or the day after that. So that's reasonable expectations. I don't think we have enough data yet on people who had two doses. Um, Because right now, we're going to find out a lot very soon because yeah. we are vaccinating a lot more people. We're up to like, I don't know, 9 million, 11 million in the U.S., I think. That's great. That's great. Right? And not- COVID is rampant. So, I mean, it's, I don't want to say that silver lining term even one more time, but it will make it easier for us to figure out what's going on. But we're also going to see a lot of COVID even after people are vaccinated, even yeah. after the second time. Yes. So somebody in Israel. Also, like I was... I was really lucky um, having had it in pregnancy mm-hmm. and not having had severe disease where I had to be um, in the hospital. Mm-hmm. So I was able to at least stay home, but that's not the case for everyone. Um, and that's something that I also wanted to point out is the risk of having COVID and God forbid having severe disease versus the benefit of preventing the disease in the first place. Right, right. So when we say prevention, I'm going to say it for the nine billionth time, hand washing, masking, and distancing, even if you've had the vaccine, even if you've had the second dose, my son will be so mad at me for saying this because he's like, well, then why get the vaccine? And I think it's that Swiss cheese approach again with, you know, different layers of Swiss cheese and they each have holes. I think the vaccine looks like a very thick layer of Swiss cheese without too many holes, but it still has some. Exactly. And so why wouldn't you have the most protection, especially if you're high risk? Exactly. That you I am still seeing patients in the office. I've had both doses of vaccine. Mm-hmm. I've had COVID. And trust me, I am still wearing a mask and washing my hands and making sure as much as I possibly can not to get exposed again. Right. And this doesn't mean that, you know, some people will make fun and they'll say, oh, well, you're just so afraid. You know, you shouldn't be so afraid. You should live your life. And I think it's just being careful. We have cars and cars and planes, for example, have multiple safety mechanisms. We don't just have one and say, let's have faith that the plane will fly, even though the so-and-so isn't, you know, being checked every whatever. It's just being careful. That's all that it is. It doesn't have to be done with a sense of fear or anxiety. It's just things you do. And to the degree that we do them then we're likely to get through this, right? But it's reasonable um, to be hesitant about getting a vaccine of this Mm -hmm. sort. Right, Um, right. It's definitely reasonable um, because in our minds it is new. Mm -hmm. It is a new technology. Mm -hmm. Um, And we know that um, the American College of OBGYNs, the Society for Maternal Fetal Medicine, other societies of reproductive uh, medicine have been saying that um, women who are thinking about becoming pregnant should not um, withhold themselves from getting the vaccine. Women who are pregnant should have a conversation with their doctor, but there is nowhere saying that they should not get the vaccine. They're saying they should have a conversation about it. And women who are breastfeeding should be offered the vaccine as any other person. Mm-hmm. 
Now, is there a wait period between getting the vaccine and becoming pregnant? There is not. And if uh, someone has gotten the first dose of the vaccine, finds out that they're pregnant, there's no wait on getting the second dose. They should get it at the appropriate time. And there's no trimester where we say, oh, this vaccine is just not safe. Correct. Correct. They're uh, saying to offer it in any trimester. Mm-hmm. And again, I mean, we're not here to provide medical advice. Talk to your healthcare professional. Everybody's going to be different. You know, there are going to be some people who say, you know, I feel like my pregnancy is very, very precious and I'm scared and I just can't do it. And to those per- people, I'd say, listen, it's your choice. You know, talk to your healthcare professional, but please be careful. Please be careful. Take from this that, you know, pregnancy is a high risk situation, that COVID is really rampant now. And now's the time to take as many precautions as you can. And I don't think that we have any evidence that there are vitamin regimens, for example, that are preventative. I'm saying this with all seriousness because many people do. You're laughing. I don't laugh. <laughs> um, no, we, we, we wish it would be, you, we wish it would be so simple. As healthy as possible. It's very important right. to be as healthy as possible. But a vitamin is not going to prevent someone from getting COVID. I take However a vitamin much, every day. Right. However much we would like it to. But it's not, it's not going to be the thing that stops me from getting COVID. It's the other measures that I'm taking. Um, again, the masking, the hand washing, the being careful, the social distancing, getting the vaccine. Those are the things that are going to help me from getting COVID. Right. And also other people in your family. I mean, you might say, well, I'm not comfortable getting it. You know, we have this thing called cocooning in pediatrics where we have a baby under the age of six months um, and they are too young for the flu shot. So we say, please cocoon that baby by everybody around that baby getting the flu shot. Now, I'm not giving advice to people to not get it because they're pregnant. I'm saying you talk to your healthcare professional. We are not here for medical advice, but we are not judging here. We really are not. Um, And it's understandable. I'm glad you brought up Um, that point that it is normal to be scared and everybody's decision, everybody's risk benefit decision making is going to be different. Right. So, right. If they did choose to, we're going to say, please be careful. And maybe everybody around you. Exactly. I mean, and again, it depends on so many factors. Like, are you a teacher and you can't avoid COVID? Well, then that's different than if you are somebody who's working from home and you can get your groceries delivered and you don't go to any simchas and so on (laughs) and so forth. We're so tired of living like this, but somebody may choose to say, well, I understand that COVID is is very common right now and it's very dangerous and I learned that I'm a high risk, but I don't feel comfortable getting the vaccine. So we're talking about it. We're not, you know, giving advice, but we are talking about it and not pushing. I don't want to have this conversation be we're going to push the vaccine, you know, no matter what on every single person that's listening to this. We're not. We're giving information. I think that's that's information that we have. Mm-hmm. And we are all trying to make the most informed decisions possible. That's right. Um, what about reactions to the vaccines? You know, I think that one thing that we have to keep saying about this vaccine so people are not taken aback is it is a reactogenic vaccine, meaning it is normal to expect some more significant side effects than you would get from a normal, typical vaccine. So I do want to put out there that... Um, people are being watched after they get the vaccine. 
So they're being observed for about 15 to 20 minutes, depending on if they have allergies in the past, etc. I know I was observed for 15 minutes. Um, thankfully, I don't have any allergies. Um, just for any reaction or possibility or anything like that. Um, we are concerned about anaphylaxis, which is a severe allergic reaction. Um, and some people continue after they go home, have other um, side effects such as fever, malaise, arm pain. I want to go back for just a minute yeah. to the, because I, I actually, I'm glad you mentioned the, the allergic reactions because we only briefly alluded to them before and that's important because I do have people saying, well, I have allergies, so I shouldn't get the vaccine. I mean, that's definitely not correct. Plenty of people have allergies and you can still get the vaccine. I think the only contraindication in terms of allergies is a history of severe reaction to the ingredients in the vaccine, which we think what's causing this relative increase in anaphylactic reactions, right? Because one in 100,000 is right. higher than the flu shot, which is one in a million. Right. So it right. is, we're hearing of it. It's a little higher. Um, is the poly, um, the peg, yeah. polyethylene glycol, which is, I think, the, the emulsifier for the, you know, that to keep in case it, um, I think that's what it does. And um, so if you have a history of severe reaction to that, then then you you should call your healthcare professional and probably, you know, you won't be able to get that particular vaccine. Right. Um, but people who have allergies, that is not true. And even for the people who've had these reactions, they have all recovered with EpiPens. Now, what I meant was by reactogenic, I meant the side effects. And now I'm going to let you go back to the side effects <laughs> uh, and how it, how it would impact on someone who was pregnant correct. or nursing or nursing. Correct. Um, so most of these side effects are easily um, handled with a little bit of Tylenol or acetaminophen, mm -hmm. same thing, um, especially if someone has a fever. Um, and I took Tylenol after my dose when I was having my arm pain and a little bit of my tiredness and just overall not feeling great. And within an hour, I was back to normal. And um, I can say now it's been a week since I got the second dose and I feel totally fine. And, and that's not, as opposed to Motrin or the non-steroidals because you're nursing now. Correct. Correct. So but Motrin is still safe while nursing. Right. Okay, so make sure that people, and, and for a pregnant woman, I think they can only use the Tylenol, Correct. acetaminophen category, not the non-steroidals okay. like Aleve Correct. or Motrin or any of the ibuprofen right. type categories, right. but there's still that good old Tylenol there, mm -hmm. there for you. And what about, we're going to talk about this just for a minute, not get too deeply into it, but what about someone who says, well, what if I get a fever and I'm pregnant? Wouldn't that be like dangerous? What do we know about that? So um, there have been some studies that there may be a risk um, to women that have had a fever during pregnancy, mm -hmm. especially in the first trimester of neural tube defects. Um, it's been shown that taking 400 micrograms or more of folic acid um, mitigates those effects. Um, and we also uh, advise our patients to take Tylenol if they have a fever. Right. So those micrograms are in the prenatal vitamin. Correct. Which they should all be Actually, taking. Actually, it's usually more than 400. Right. In the, right. Uh, right. Just so people know, that's not some weird thing. That's something you're taking already. Correct. While you're pregnant. 
So I that's think a good vitamin. <laughs> it's a good vitamin. I, you know, unless you have something to add, I feel like we went through the main, I mean, the main concept is really very simple. I mean, if we continue to call this by the topic I came up with, you came up with, which is, should you be more afraid of COVID or the vaccine and pregnancy um, and nursing? The answer is clear. It's you should be more afraid of COVID. Yes. That's yeah. simply what it is. And everybody should be careful. And, you know, we, we're, we're so close. I have one more thing I just want to say, which is that I have this um, analogy, I have this mashal of we're in transition, you know, the stage of pregnancy, of, of labor, where you're about to deliver. And how does a woman feel in transition, right? Yep. Like she can't do it anymore. <laughs> like it'll never be over. Like she needs an epidural. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so I want to tell everyone we're almost there. We're the last, we're the last little bit. We just have to be, you know, be careful. And of course we have to dive into Hashem for help. And, and we should really strongly consider this vaccine because we're really, really fortunate to have it and getting it out there. Yes, we are very fortunate. We are very fortunate that we have scientists that came up with the technology and we are very fortunate that we're able to get it out as fast as we have been as well. Right. And we're going to continue to learn about it. And, you know, fortunately, despite the fact that there is misinformation circulating fast, there's also a lot of good information. And, you know, for people who say they're hiding things from you, we're all taking the same vaccine, the same one that we're offering our patients. You took, I took. Exactly. There's no special yeah. vaccine. It's just I wouldn't do anything to put my children at risk. Right. And neither would I or my patients or my patients' exactly. families. It's the same vaccine. Exactly. And, you know, there is a lot of transparency. All of these things you can look up online. You can find out information about it. Um, do you have any resources to give people who want to look into this more? Um, yes. Let me pull up my website. Amazing. Um, ACOG.org. ACOG.org. Correct. And it's um, a practice advisory called Vaccinating Pregnant and Lactating Patients Against COVID 19. Very important. And I'm going to mention just for people who heard something that they want to look it up, there is a very good website called Vaxopedia. Vaxopedia is like the Wikipedia of vaccine misinformation. (laughs) And Yeah. So if you've heard that since session one myth, you can look it up and it will tell you. Exactly. The truth. It will tell you, it'll give you links, it'll give you the information and you can see it for yourself. So people should not have to feel overwhelmed. It is, it does feel scary to have something new. It does feel overwhelming to have this surge of both information, misinformation, disinformation, and not to be able to know who to believe. But I hope that, you know, people see that a lot of us, you and I, including are trying to get good information out without trying to push anything in anybody and trying to be, you know, as honest and transparent as we can be. And I thank you so much for doing this with me. Pleasure. I also wanted to um, add that the CDC has um, a vaccine uh, reporting uh, website um, after when people get the vaccine. Yes. It's called V-Safe. Mm-hmm. Very important to um, help everyone kind of track their symptoms after getting the vaccine. Right. There's also the vaccine adverse events. There's also, yeah. you know, active and, and, and other databases. There's lots of databases, but the V-Safe, I think, is something you can put on your smartphone. Yes, it, it's... Um, it texts you when you're supposed to log in your, with your symptoms. Right. So we really are trying to track and to the degree that everybody cooperates and tells what happens, we'll even know more. Exactly. And the news media is going to jump on every single case. So don't worry. Knowledge is power. That's it. <laughs> 
we're going to hear it. We're going to hear it. And, and hopefully we're going to hear more good things. And I thank you so much for doing this with me. It was a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, we're doing something really unusual. We're going to do an addendum to our talk. And the reason we're doing this is because just, what, two days ago, the World Health Organization came out with a statement about the Moderna vaccine. And they basically said that they are not recommending the Moderna vaccine for a pregnant woman. That's the short statement that the news media has taken and run with. And so we really need to do a deep dive into that statement to put it in perspective. Nothing we have said in this talk has changed. Nothing about the decision-making for taking the vaccine while pregnant has changed. We just have to put this statement into context. So I'm going to let you tell us um, a little bit more about what the World Health Organization said, more than just that one line, to put it in context, first of all. And it's similar for the Pfizer. So when people say, what about the Pfizer? The answer is, it's really the same thing. Correct. They didn't recommend so, it for pregnant um, women either. It's not like they recommended the, the Pfizer, but not the Moderna. Exactly. So the WHO, the World Health Organization, put out actually yesterday um, a statement saying, um, you know, what you need to know about Moderna COVID vaccine. So they're talking about who can take the vaccine and who should not take the vaccine. Mm -hmm. So under this Moderna um, statement, it's saying while pregnancy puts women at higher risk of severe COVID-19, the use of this vaccine in pregnant women is currently not recommended unless they are at risk of high exposure, like healthcare workers. On January 7th, no, January 8th, I apologize, um, they put out a statement about the Pfizer vaccine saying who can take the Pfizer um, vaccine. And again, it says, pregnant women are at higher risk of severe COVID-19 than non-pregnant women. And COVID-19 has been associated with an increased risk of preterm birth. However, due to insufficient data, the WHO does not recommend the vaccination of pregnant women at this time. In case a pregnant woman has an unavoidable risk, high of exposure, example, a healthcare worker, vaccination may be considered in a discussion with their healthcare provider. So that, those are the main talking points from these two WHO um, statements. I wanted to point out, it's not just about the Moderna, they also included Pfizer, mm -hmm. and they're essentially saying there's not enough data to recommend vaccination for a pregnant woman unless she's at high risk for example, being a healthcare worker. Mm. Um, however, uh, ACOG, which is the um, American College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists and the Society of Maternal Fetal Medicine put out a statement today, January 27th, um, saying that they are aware of the WHO recommendation to withhold COVID-19 vaccines from pregnant individuals unless they are at high risk of exposure. ACOG and SMFM continue to stress that both COVID vaccines currently authorized by the U.S. Food and Drug Administration should not be withheld from pregnant individuals who choose to receive the vaccine. They are not changing their guidelines. And SMFM uh, is the Society for Maternal Fetal Medicine. 
Correct. So those are the doctors that um, take care of our high risk pregnancies. ACOG are the doctors that care that take care of all the other pregnancies Mm -hmm. um, and deliver the babies. So these are the people that have both the mom's life in their hands and the fetus's life in their hands. And their recommendation is to continue to get the vaccine. But that it should be available. I mean, you say not to withhold means they can get it. I mean, I think that we can look at them and and hold them both on our mind at the same time and say that the decision we're making is a decision in uncertainty. They're both agreeing that it's not like we have- Yeah, all along. All along, this is what we've been saying. Right, but we have t- tremendous risk from COVID itself, which is very prevalent and mutating and you know, becoming even more infectious in its you know, exactly. newer incarnations, unfortunately. So it's not like you are only facing the risk of the vaccine, you're facing the risk of COVID while pregnant, which can be a higher risk. So I think exactly. it's reasonable to say that we have the same situation. It's not that we should be so gung-ho and say every pregnant woman should get this vaccine. No questions asked. No one should say otherwise. Then then they're an anti-vaxxer if they say otherwise. That's not true. It's very reasonable to have reservations and everybody's situation is going to be different and that's okay. So this is not an earth-shattering statement. The media always takes things, you know, for the effect, for the shock effect. Right. They're not saying something's out of proportion. It's blown out of proportion. They are not saying it's dangerous. They are saying because we don't know, we we can't recommend it. We don't know enough. And that's what we've been saying all along. And that's why it has to be a conversation between the woman and her doctor. Right. I think some have said they don't even have to if they want to. They, they can make that decision on their own. It's not like a situation where right. you must be cleared by your doctor to take the vaccine exactly. if you haven't been checked. And what if your OB is against it and you're for it, right? Because I think people are going to have different ways of weighing the risk benefit, different ways of making decisions in uncertainty. Exactly. Women can make their own decisions. Mm-hmm. They, um, they should definitely have a conversation about it. But in the end, it's their decision. Mm -hmm. no matter which way they decide to go. And it's perfectly okay to be unsure, um, but we have to take the the statements at face value, meaning there's not enough data. There won't be enough data for a a while until all of the studies are completed. We're working with what we know. We know that COVID is dangerous. Um, We don't have any data really about COVID vaccine and pregnant women, but if women are at high risk of exposure, the vaccine should not be withheld. Right. And as we do more vaccines, we're going to have more and more women who are pregnant. You know, again, the pregnant women were excluded from the trials, which is a point of contention, right? From the ACOG, from these organizations. So like, if you had just studied this on pregnant women, we would have the data and we'd have a high risk population that wouldn't be so vulnerable. It's maddening. It's maddening. Exactly. They've advocated for pregnant women to be included in these trials. And unfortunately, it's not the case right now. Right. So I do believe that um, there are some trials that are going to include pregnant women in the future. And some uh, trials on rats have not shown any uh, issues or um, deleterious effects. Right. I think they've even studied rats while pregnant. Yes. You know, they did that for the Moderna. I don't have the exact details, but I know that the so-called DART studies, which stands for? 
Uh oh, <laughs> we've had this conversation already. The DART on, studies, it's um, yeah. reproductive, reproductive, um, developmental and reproductive. Technology, um, maybe. Yeah. No, toxicology. I don't know. Anyway, whatever DART stands for, they are animal studies that were done. They were done for both Moderna and Pfizer. Don't have the exact details about that, but there have been some studies and people with you know more interest. All this, all of this is out there and transparent. Yes. So you yes. can, if you needed to get more data on the animal studies, but animals aren't people. Exactly. We don't know. We have to be very transparent about what we don't know. And the World Health Organization has taken what you might call a conservative stance that if we don't know, then we're not going to recommend it. Very controversial because a lot of us feel that they're not weighing the risk of COVID against the theoretical risk of the vaccine. We have the actual risk of COVID, which is still very high. It's not like we're not in the middle of a pandemic. It's not like a disease where the incidence is low. It's rampant. It's huge problem as we discussed before it is a huge right. problem and it is a huge risk for pregnant women and their babies to get covid right and this would especially be true for a pregnant woman who has comorbidities you know has other disorders whether it's that she's you know starts with her pregnancy with a significant higher baseline weight um whether she has you know pre-existing medical conditions whether she has gestational diabetes or hypertension or any of these kind of conditions are going to put her at higher risk and again, these are the risk-benefit decisions in terms of making it that can be individualized exactly. for the individual person. So we're going to leave with this. Hopefully, this will help people to put the World Health Organization statement into context and wish everyone hatzlacha and making a decision that, honestly, it, it's difficult, you know? It's difficult to make these decisions with uncertainty, but Don't that's forget... Right. Social distancing. Yes. Math. Yes. Math. Right. And that's the other thing. If you choose to, if you're able to stay away, and by the way, if you don't, it's not just um, doctors that are high risk of exposure, it's all kinds of people who do all kinds of jobs. But if you're working from the home, and I think we said this in our talk, if you're working from the home and you're able to distance, that puts you in a different risk category than someone whose job pushes them, you know, to be with people all day long. Exactly. So I'm saying goodbye to you. For the second time. Thank you so much for doing this with me. <laughs> Thank you again. Take care. You too. Thanks for listening to the Joma Preventative Health Podcast. If you've enjoyed this, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and share this with your friends. For more information, check out our Instagram at Joma underscore org. Check out our website, www.joma.org, that's J-O-W-M-A, .org, or email us at health at joma.org.